Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I'm here with Marty Appel, the longtime PR director for the Yankees. Uh, he did a stint with Tops. He's helped the National, just an all-around good guy and uh, very involved in the hobby and in the sport, written 24 books. This is an interview, uh, and we're longtime friends, and he's uh, approximately my age. So we just had a great story about the past, present, and future. I want to thank the sponsors, certainly Tops, uh, Marty's former employer, but also Upper Deck and Panini. Heritage Auctions, Huxton Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, CompC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So thanks, Marty, one of the class guys in the hobby and in the industry and in the sport. And here's our here's uh, my interview. Actually, he's a PR guy interviewing me. It was a little bit of back and forth. I've had so many players over the years who weren't Yankees tell me they'd have traded two seasons of their careers to have been a Yankee for a month for all that would mean in the future for them. There's a business opportunity there for the Yankees to sign retired players for a day, <laughs> let them retire as a Yankee, and then maybe their Hall of Fame plaque can be with a Yankee cap on or something, even if they're long retired. I just want to start out with giving you a chance to narrate some of your wonderful experiences, and, and uh, we've crossed paths over the years, but and anything on tops, obviously, totally positive tone. My favorite player was Bobby Richardson, which I can explain why. So separate from my collection, I just keep my Bobby Richardson cards. That's yeah. Nice. Yeah. I met him a long time ago. He's a really nice man. Absolutely. And a Southern gentleman. I don't know how things worked out in the Yankee clubhouse in the 60s with him. but And principal eulogist. Uh, for Mantle. For Mantle. I know. Mantle's funeral was two blocks from where I'm sitting right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I was there. But uh, it was a long time ago. But uh, Bobby Richardson is not just your favorite player. He's a lot of people's favorite player. Right. And one of the things that I get into with people is that the newer breed of collector or fan is strongly encouraged to seek a goat to find the, the this very best player. They're criticized if their favorite player is merely an all-star <laughs> and a second baseman at that and an amazing clutch guy in every way. But you're encouraged to to go for the best of the best, what everybody else is doing. And so I didn't do that much, although I picked Clemente, but Clemente was my guy before he was so famous, before he passed away, obviously, too. So, yeah, I love that, Marty. And when you're doing PR for the Yankees, you got to represent the whole team, even though I guess you started out with a, a mantle a perspective or assignment when you're in college. That's cool. How much fan mail did Mickey get in 67? It was an era when people still sent mail. I mean, that yeah, was yeah. something you could do. So there would be several hundred letters a day. And that's why he really needed somebody to uh, respond to them, because Bob Fischel's, uh, he knew that an unanswered fan letter is a potential to lose a fan. Okay. Most people don't think that anymore, but especially when it's a handwritten note from a kid or an adult or whatever. Yeah, I, I hear you. Back in the early days of Beckett Publications, we were getting three or 4,000 letters a day. Wow. We got a million pieces of mail, whatever year that was that we counted. And that, again, before email. So, and a lot of were surveys, subscriptions, a lot, <laughs> a lot of them had checks in there, Marty. So that wasn't so bad. And a lot of them had price surveys and things like that. But somebody's got to open it and you've got to have some way to acknowledge or they feel jilted. So were you answering 200 a day? Oh, yeah. But it was mostly sending a printed signature photograph of him. So it was really a matter of addressing envelopes. Some of the more special ones would get a letter. And they didn't have computers that had the letter pre-programmed. So I would type, really appreciated your letter. Fans like you make it all worthwhile or something like that and send it off. But I would always manage to save 
three or four letters a day that I needed to go over in person with Nikki. <laughs> so <laughs> I would make that up, of course. He saw right through it. But it would give me entree to the clubhouse and FaceTime with Nick. Very strategic. Uh, I think it's hard to comprehend the level of popularity that he had. And, and not just when he was playing, but even after he played. But could, could you quantify that compared to you know, somebody else on the team? Joe Pepitone was the second most popular. He'd get a few postcards every day. <laughs> he didn't get a lot of It was 100 to 1. When I hear about cards that are valued and the superstars valued. Tom Brady is this huge six-figure, seven-figure amount. And then his linemen or running backs or receivers are one thousandth of that, if that. And and yet what you're suggesting is that in the fan mail, it was a hundred to one or a thousand to one. Mantle truly was a goat, was one of the greatest. Technically speaking, I was handling fan mail for any player that wanted yeah. the office to handle it. Bill Monbouquet was not flooding us with fan mail, but they were all welcome to put it in a basket by the clubhouse door. It was just clearly became the job of Mickey Mantle's fan mail clerk. And were you an intern at that point? Did you apply for that or were they looking for that or were you just knocked on the door and said, put me in, coach? I applied. I didn't know what I was applying for. I just sent a letter to Bob Fischel, the Yankees' legendary PR director. Right. I said, I'm looking for a summer job. I've been the sports editor of my high school and college newspapers. I love the Yankees, know all the trivia and everything about them. And the opportunity to have a summer job with the team would be wonderful for me. So I didn't really expect an answer because it was the Yankees. It would be like writing to the White House and expecting to get an interview. But as it happened, which I really didn't fully appreciate, baseball was not cool in the late 60s, and there weren't a lot of college students aspiring to work in baseball. So on the one hand, I was the only such letter that Bob Fischel received. And on the other hand, Mickey's fan mail was overflowing, and he put the two together and called me in for an interview. Today, I don't think I'd get hired. Today, baseball teams hire MBAs and people who really know business and finance and, of course, analytics, math majors. Me, I got the job because I knew baseball. And I don't know if they hire people like that anymore. (laughs) People that are like that, Marty, have to go to, what is it, Ohio U for the uh, sports administration, masters, and some of the other programs that are out there. I was a a political science major, and I was the sports editor of the college newspaper. And my interview went well, and I told him that I had won one of his scorecard contests the year before. I'm hired. I wrote sports for my newspaper, but look where that got me. I guess it put me in publishing as well. So, And I also you did okay. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it, but I was doing intramural sports editor, so I, I was a little uh, tamer, but uh, I'm sure I had dozens of readers. <laughs> you know, you, it reminds me of the line that Starbucks in my neighborhood a few years ago, and Tony Bennett was online behind me. Really? Lived in the neighborhood. As we're approaching the order counter, remember they used to say, maybe they still do, sell CDs in Starbucks? Right, yeah. Yeah, Michael Bolton and you know, yeah. things like that. So I tapped the CD pile and I turned to him and I said, you ought to be here. And he looked at me and he said, I do okay. (laughs) (laughs) I left left my CDs in San Francisco. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I think Tony Bennett's my parents' age. 
I think he's 96. Yeah. yeah. And he has Alzheimer's, yeah. but he still remembers his music. Well, it's so a different he, part of your brain. Yeah. Yeah. So he was able to perform a farewell concert with yeah. Lady Gaga yeah. at Radio City Music Hall. You've had a number of PR clients, and I'm just curious. It's a wonderful list, and it starts with the Yankees. But were they your favorite client, or, or, or were there others that uh, rivaled that? Because you've done work for the National You've done work, a lot of work for Tops. Were the Yankees, that's your number one thing, what you want on your Hall of Fame plaque? Is that what you want to be leading off with? <laughs> if there would be such a thing, of course, that would go there. And then, There is a Broadcast and Writers Award and, and, and wing. You know, but I'm, I'm never going to get that. I, I'd nominate you, Marty. <laughs> well, thank you. But um, the Yankees have given me an identity all these years. People hear my name and that's where their mind goes. And that's not a bad identity to carry around with you. It's been very helpful in my career. Interestingly, though, after the Yankees, I went to WPIX television in New York and I became the producer, executive producer of the Yankee telecasts and also PR director for the station. And as that, I needed to have a crash course in everything, engineering and technology and sales and news gathering and community relations and FCC licenses, the works. And I found that industry, the broadcast industry, so fascinating that for personal satisfaction, I love my years at WPIX. I love the industry. I love the people I work with. And the fact that I was still involved with the Yankees was a great thing as well. So, yeah, the Yankees have given me a lifelong identity. And as a kid, I was a Yankee fan, so that made it all the more special. But professionally, my years in broadcasting are the ones I enjoyed the okay. most. Okay. And then you did some work for Tops, but you're not explicitly a serious card collector, I don't think. You, you're really serious about publications, but are you more involved in autographs and cards than I think? No, probably not. But cards was, as with so many people, the foundation. My mother brought me home a single pack of cards in 1953, of which I still have Billy Hunter, and I consider that my first card, and I keep it on my desk. Uh, in 1956, though, those beautiful cards that Topps produced, that was when I started being a collector. And I collected seriously for 56, 57, 58, 59, 60, 61, 62, but gravitated towards only collecting Yankees at one point. Eventually, my brother's took over and he became the collector. So I've never been that great a collector, but it's always a nice talking point when you meet people my age who fell in love with baseball in the 50s. And sure enough, that's the commonality that we have. And today for most of us, when you see an obituary for a player from that time, your thought goes immediately to his baseball card and what that card looked like, even the color, like in 58 when they had borders yeah. Billy Consolo, that was blue. Frank Torrey, that was green. I still think like that. What about autographs? Did you ever get your cards autographed or 8x10s or some of your publications? Because you had access or did you have this kind of separation of church and state that is a PR? No, it was a separation. Good way of putting it. I had enormous access and could have gotten everybody and never really loved the autograph. I still remain flabbergasted at the prices that some of them bring. And terribly frustrated that today's players are indecipherable. You have no idea what the signature is when you compare it to the beautiful signatures of players in the past. But I never was charmed by autographs. It didn't do much for me. I like photographs with people that I have a story to go with. 
if I'm in a room with Joe Montana, I'm not going to take a picture with Joe Montana. I was in the same room as Joe Montana. But if I have a real story that goes with it, a friendship, an event we did together, work together, I like getting a photo with the guy. And um, I post them on Facebook from time to time. And Richard Sandemir of the New York Times is forever teasing me about, who haven't you taken a picture with? <laughs> There's a lot. We're pretty similar on that. My dad got me a card in 56, and I collected up through 61, 62, somewhere in there, same thing. But we're the same vintage. And then I had a younger brother, but my dad had collected, so I, I had a real boost there. But an autograph, same thing, and selfies and things like that. It, it just wasn't that big a deal to me. I have some of that stuff, but I, I didn't aggressively pursue it. Although I did get Mantle's autograph. I stood in line. He's one of the few guys I ever stood in line to get an autograph for. And that's because my daughter was with me. And she said, hey, you always say he's one of the greatest. Why don't we get in line and get his uh, autograph? Said, okay. And that, that was a long time ago. I wrote a book once called Slide Kelly Slide about Mike King Kelly, who died in the 19th century, but was really the game's first matinee idol. Oh, did he have a following, especially in Boston with its Irish population. When I wrote a biography of him in the 90s, I stumbled on the fact that he might have been the man who popularized the idea of autographs. Hmm. Up until him and Charles Hamilton, the autograph dealer in New York, confirm yeah. this for me. I met with him as I was doing the book and talked him through the story. Up until that point, people knew it was nice to own a George Washington or an Abraham Lincoln or the Civil War generals. But with Kelly, it was the ca first case of people pursuing him in the street saying, Mr. Kelly, can I get your autograph? And it was mo all in pencil back then, so few exist. They faded. But he was the first celebrity that people pursued in the street for a signature. It grew from him, which was a pretty cool chapter to put in the book.